Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is one of uh, uh, the, the prophetic books of the Bible that talks the most about the coming of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. Now this is part two of a sermon series called The Christmas Story. Got a couple more messages after today. So we're uh, looking at part two today. We're going to read this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm hearing a popping noise. I don't know if y'all are hearing that noise or not, but I'm hearing that. Just thought I'd let the audio guys know. Um, and it's a passage that we, I love to read at Christmas time. You know, there are just certain things you hear at Christmas time, certain songs you hear, certain passages of Scripture you hear, and you go, now it's beginning to feel like Christmas. And this is one of those passages that I really, really love to hear uh, at Christmas time, but really not just Christmas, but all year round. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even, how long? Forevermore. And then I love the last sentence. We talked about this last week. We don't think about this last sentence very much when we're reading this passage. But look at the very last sentence. The zeal of the Lord. Think about that. God can get zealous about something. I mean, that's just an amazing thought. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, what you've seen is a promise of coming Messiah, a promise of Jesus Christ coming into the world. And then in the last sentence, it says that Almighty God, this is what that last sentence means, Almighty God has put all of his divine energy and all of his divine power into seeing that a Messiah comes to save us from our sins. I don't know about you guys, but I'm very happy about that. Can you let God know how happy you are about that this morning? We have a Messiah. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. This passage that I've just read to you from the book of Isaiah was actually written about seven to 800 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And as you know, as we've already said, he was prophesying about the coming of Jesus Christ. Here's what we talked about last week, and I'm not going to review those notes because you can go on our website and watch last week's sermon absolutely free of charge. We talked about the supernatural nature of Jesus, the supernatural nature of Jesus. In other words, we talked last week about the godness of Jesus, that Jesus is 100% God. But not only was Jesus 100% God, and is he 100% God, but when he walked this earth, he was also 100% man. So what we're going to talk about today are the mysteries surrounding his humanity. The mysteries surrounding the humanity of Jesus. There are two particular mysteries I want to talk to you about. Mystery number one is that mystery of his coming. 
Not the second time. We know Jesus is coming again, don't we? But we're going to talk about the mystery of his birth in Bethlehem. The first coming. Unto us a child is born. Now, when you see that phrase, unto us a child is born, that is talking about the humanity of Jesus. When you read this next phrase or sentence, unto us a son is given, that is in reference to the deity of Jesus Christ. Once again, one of the mysteries is 100% God, 100% man. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a room, maybe you were on a mission trip or or maybe you were in a Spanish class or you were in a French class in high school or college and everybody in there was speaking a language you didn't understand. Anybody ever felt like that? I mean, I was in the class and I'd been in it all year and I still didn't know what they were saying. Anybody with me on taking a foreign language? And um, that's a bad feeling. I've been on a few mission trips, you know, and I've kind of been left in a room with all the people from that area, and they're just talking to each other and asking me questions, and I'm going, God loves you. I don't know what else to say, because I have no idea what they're saying to me. And, uh, you know, you just can't understand them. Well, listen to this. God in heaven exists in a spiritual realm we can't understand. We, We can't understand God. Um, the Bible says that, that God is a person, and then it turns right around and says God is a spirit. And so it's kind of hard to comprehend God. It's kind of hard to, to understand. So here's what God did. God translated himself to us. You know, it's wonderful when I was on that mission trip and I was in that room with all those people speaking a language I didn't understand when somebody came in who could tell me what they were saying and who could tell them what I was saying, and all of a sudden we were communicating, we were connecting. God the Father sent his son Jesus because God the Father knew we, we just couldn't, in our finiteness, we could not comprehend him. So he sent a translation of himself. In John 1.1 it says that the word, in the beginning was the word, And that word, word there is a capital W, so it's talking about Jesus. God sent us a word that we could understand, and the name of that word is Jesus, Jesus Christ. God took deity and translated it into humanity so we could understand him and so we could know him, so we could have a personal relationship with Jesus. So my question to you is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I don't mean do you know about him, because see, it isn't enough to know about him. I mean, do you know him? Does he live in your heart? Have you recognized that without him you're lost? Have you recognized you need a savior, and have you recognized he's the only savior? And have you said to Jesus, I want to give you my life. Because see, without Jesus, we're incomplete. He wants us, God wants us to understand him and know him. And we do that through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, John Phillips is a great theologian. I've not heard that John Phillips has passed away. John Phillips, I assume, is still with us. I've heard him speak live on several occasions. And last I heard, 
He actually lived in North Carolina. He lived in Wilmington, North Carolina. Some of you may have heard of the Phillips translation of the Bible, and that is John Phillips. I want to read a statement that John Phillips said about the mystery that we're talking about this morning. The great mystery of the manger is that God would be able to translate deity, that is God divine, into humanity without either discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. Now, I don't know how many of you are tweeting, but here's something good to tweet. The God, or the child rather, the little baby of Luke 2. How many of y'all love Luke 2? This time of year, I love Luke 2. I mean, you can go to all the Gospels and read the Christmas story, but Luke chapter 2, I mean, that's the one Charlie Brown read. It's got to be the official one, amen? I'm surprised he hadn't took that off TV because he talks about Jesus. Did I say that out loud? I did, didn't I? So... Luke 2, that's, a, that's the, I, I, I mean, at the, if you want to get in the Christmas spirit, whatever that is, if you want to get in the Christmas spirit, then get into Luke 2 early after Thanksgiving and just read that, and that'll get you in the Christmas spirit. But the little baby of Luke 2, here's what I want you to tweet. The little baby of Luke 2 is the great God of Genesis 1. The little baby in Luke 2 is the great God of Genesis chapter 1. I want you to think about something. Jesus was a little toddler one time. Isn't it hard to think about that? Jesus, terrible twos. I mean, maybe Jesus never was terrible twos, you know. All the little two-year-olds are running around, you know, Jesus is just walking around two years old. I think Jesus was like all the other kids. Now, you know, Jesus, his father was not Joseph. As a matter of fact, when the angel came to warn Mary and Joseph to flee because King Herod was going to kill all the little babies, he said to Mary, he said, take your child and or take, uh, he, caught, he identified Jesus as her baby, but and jo- so he's talking to Joseph. Take, here, oh, here's what he said. I remember now. <laughs> hey, guys, edit that out. Hey, watch this. He said, he said, take the young child and his mother. He never called Joseph. He never called Joseph Jesus' dad. Jesus' father, because he wasn't. However, he was that earthly um, mate of Mary, and so therefore he was like a stepdad, in a sense, to Jesus. And uh, I'm sure when Joseph was out there in the carpenter shop, and Joseph was, you know, planing wood, and those little shavings would fall on the ground, and Jesus would hang out in that carpenter shop, you know, and I can just see Jesus reach down and get some of those wood shavings and put them in his mouth because that's what all two-year-olds do. But Jesus was Jesus, so it wouldn't hurt him. You know, it's okay. Uh, this is deep theological stuff. Y'all need to write this down. So, so can you just imagine Jesus' toddler hanging around in Joseph's carpenter shop? 
picking up those wood shavings. Now listen to me. He's the one who made those wood shavings. Just imagine that. You say, well, time out. Jesus wasn't in Genesis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Many, many places in the Bible, it tells us that he is creator. Jesus Christ was right there at the beginning. Look, he always has been, is, always will be. Hebrews tells us, Colossians is clear about it, that Jesus is the creator. He was there at creation and created hard to just wrap your brain around that especially if you've never heard that before but when Jesus arrived in Bethlehem I want you to get that picture that nativity scene in your mind right now I want you to see Jesus laying there in that little manger that's the day God became flesh that's the day God became flesh and dwelt among us you say man I just don't understand that that's okay the Bible says it's a mystery I don't think we are supposed to fully understand it. Look, if you will, in the Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 3. For those of you who don't know where 1 Timothy is, it's right before 2 Timothy. So let's just look at that. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Look what it says. There can be no debate about this. There can be no argument about this. Because what, what the writer Paul is about to say to Timothy is what? Without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. Now I want you to notice the punctuation here because it is punctuated with a colon right there. You know what that's telling me? That he's just named something, the mystery of godliness. That means he's about to tell us what the mystery of godliness is. And the mystery of godliness is that God was manifested, revealed to us in the flesh. In Bethlehem, on the first Christmas day, God became flesh and dwelt among us, translating himself so that we could understand him. So in this sermon series, we're talking about the great mystery. In this particular message today, we're talking about something God has done. Therefore, we don't really have the capacity to fully wrap our brain around it and understand it and have it make logical sense. So that's the mystery of his coming. Now I want to spend the rest of my time, which is short, on the mystery of his conception. Now all of you who are here for the first time, you've never heard me preach before, I'm going to say in closing several times, but it means absolutely nothing. But it gives you hope, yes. So we got the mystery of his coming. Now let's look at the mystery of his conception. The miracle of the ages is the virgin conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 and 6 tells us he's coming. Now I want you to look at two chapters back, Isaiah 7 and 14. It talks to us about his conception And here's what it says, therefore the Lord himself, Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, all the names of God, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, colon, it's about to tell us what the sign is, behold the virgin, who's that? Very good. (laughs) Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a, and shall call his name, which means... 
We don't say amen around here. We say booyah. That's a booyah right there. You say, time out. I mean, I ain't a scientist or nothing, but how can a virgin conceive? I mean, pastor, really, that's impossible. And then you go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Well, that's what Mary said. When the angel said to Mary, uh, you're not going to know a man, you're not going to have a relationship with a man, physical relationship with a man, but you're going to have a baby. And here's what Mary said. How can this be? Now, if she'd been from the South, she'd say, what in the world? <laughs> in the world are you talking about? And that angel said in Luke 137, and this is a word for somebody here today. If you don't hear anything else I say, if you don't hear anything else I preach, I want you to hear what that angel said to Mary. With God, nothing shall be impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about what you're going through. I want you to think about people you love. I want you to think about what they're going through. You know people sitting here right now, backs against the wall. Backs against the wall. It's dark. They can't see any light. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Let's say it out loud. With God, nothing shall be impossible. So Mary said, all right. That's what Mary said. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Don't argue. What did I say? What did that scripture say a while ago? Without controversy. If you have difficulty believing in the virgin birth, I want to inform you this morning that you're going to have difficulty believing in God. You say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I got some trouble with the virgin birth. Man, I believe in God. Listen to me. If I, were, if I were to ask most people in here today, I'd say, do you believe God created Adam and Eve? Do you believe God created the first man and the first woman? And you go, absolutely, yeah, man, I believe God made Adam, God made Eve, God made them full grown. You know, just like the Bible says. So you tell me you believe that. I mean, he made them out of nothing. And you tell me that God cannot cause a woman to conceive a child even though she's a virgin? You believe God made the heavens and the earth, but you don't believe that a child could be born into this earth world without an earthly father? In other words, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God made man, and God made woman, then you have no difficulty believing the rest of the Bible because there's not a greater miracle. If we do not stand for the truth of the virgin birth, then we are allowing the cornerstone of our faith as Christians to be removed. The greatest event in human history was when God, through a virgin, came into this world to save our souls from sin and ensure our eternal home in heaven. So follow me on this. To doubt the virgin birth, to doubt the humanity of Jesus, to doubt 
the deity of Jesus means that you're doubting the very character of the Scriptures. You're doubting the very character of the Word of God because the Word of God plainly teaches to us that Jesus was born of a virgin. Now stay with me here. To doubt the virgin birth of Jesus, not only are you doubting the character of the Word of God, but you're also doubting the character of Mary because Mary wasn't married and she had a baby. Because if you don't believe in the virgin birth, then you're saying that Mary was a fornicator because she had a child outside of wedlock. But listen to this. If you're doubting the virgin birth, then you're doubting Mary's character. If you doubt Mary's character, you're going to have a big problem with the very character of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then Jesus was a descendant of Adam, just like you and I are. And the Bible says, the scriptures teach us, that in Adam we all die. So if you doubt the virgin birth of Jesus, then you're saying that Jesus is a sinner. A sinner by nature and a sinner by practice. Now follow me, follow me. Jesus came as he did, virgin birth, to be what he was, sinless. Jesus came as he did, virgin birth, to be what he was, sinless. Jesus was what he was, sinless, to do what he did. Die on the cross for my sins and your sins as a perfect, pure, spotless lamb. He did what he did. Die on the cross that we might be what we are. Sons and daughters of God because we have faith in the cross for us and the resurrection for us and we received into our heart the person of Jesus Christ. Now let me even simplify it further, make it really easy. No virgin birth, no sinless Christ. No sinless Christ, no atonement for our sins. No atonement for our sins, no forgiveness of our sins. No forgiveness of our sins, no hope of heaven. No hope of heaven, we all die and spend eternity in hell. Thank God for the virgin birth. Thank God for the virgin. I believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Let the word of God be declared. Let the theology of the Bible be declared. Let the doctrine of the Bible be declared in this house today. The bridge believes in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. For without it, there is no salvation for us. There is no hope for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the virgin birth. If you take away the virgin birth, Christianity collapses like a house of cards. So far, we've observed the supernatural nature of Jesus, and the mystery surrounding the humanity of Jesus. So in closing, <laughs> I want to talk about the nobility of Jesus as our King. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Everybody say this with me. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Jesus Christ was born a noble. Jesus Christ was born a ruler. 
Jesus Christ was born a sovereign king. Jesus Christ came not only to redeem, but he came to reign. Jesus Christ was born a king. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Now look at verse 7. It takes the thought even further. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isn't that good news? I mean, when, when Jesus comes back the second time and takes over, there will be no end to his rule. There will be no end to his reign. And listen, if you're there at that time, there will be no end to you as well. You will live forever and ever and ever. And you'll be able to eat all the mashed potatoes and gravy you want. I knew some of you weren't connecting with me on that, so I knew that would connect with you right there, all right? Some of you are thinking right now, I ate all the gravy and mashed potatoes I want now. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> of all of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, Israel, to order it and establish it with what? Judgment and what? Justice from that time forward, from now on, even how long? The zeal of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the, the, uh, um, everything God has, he has put behind this effort, and he will perform it. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. He came the first time to redeem us. He's coming the second time to rule and reign over us. His second coming. How many of y'all believe Jesus was born in Bethlehem? You believe that? Listen to me. His second coming is just as sure. It's just as sure as the first coming. He's coming again. He came the first time according to prophecy. He's coming the second time according to prophecy. He came the first time in the fullness of time. That means at the perfect moment. He's coming the second time in the fullness of time at the perfect moment. Every now and then you'll hear a preacher like me give an altar call. And that preacher will say something like this. He'll say, won't you come and make him Lord? Won't you come and make him Lord? And that's okay. I know what I'm meaning when I say that. I know what other preachers mean when they say that. But can I tell you something in the strictest sense? You can't make him Lord. He already is Lord. He already is Lord. Now listen. The only thing you can do is recognize his lordship and humble yourself before him and call him your Lord. The cradle, the cross, and the crown are inseparably linked together. A sentimental crowd can celebrate around a manger and love on a little baby. I love Christmas, man. I just love Christmas. I love the lights. I watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer every year. It's already been on twice. I've seen it both times. I watch Frosty the Snowman. I cry at the end. I know he's coming back. I know he's coming back. But I cry every time. I love Christmas. I love the trees. I love the lights. I, I'm a Goldsboro boy, graduated from that great educational institution, Charles B. Acock High School. 
I was going to say CBA, but I knew the graduate school was going to, okay, so, <laughs> what does that spell? So, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, I graduated from there, I know, listen. Here, here's what was Christmas for me, baby, when they lit the water tower, come on. When they lit the water tower, I knew Jesus was coming, <laughs> I knew. Actually, at that age, my first thought was Santa Claus is coming. But anyway, I just knew it was great. So I love all that part of Christmas. And we don't, man, walk around our church before you leave today. We don't, we, we celebrate, we decorate. We, I didn't see my wife for five days when they were decorating this church. We decorate, man. We love Christmas. We love all the stuff of Christmas. But it's not just about that. It's not even really about that. You say, yeah, it's all about a baby in a manger and loving on that little baby. Can I just tell you this? It's not even really primarily about that. It's essential for you to understand that we're not just called to be excited and thrilled and sentimental about a little baby. We're called to humble ourselves before him as a king and crown him as Lord of lords and king of kings. But that isn't even enough. As your Lord, our Lord, your personal Lord, your personal King. Because the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, you may have come here today to see the little kids. You know, I drove up all these extra cars in the parking lot. I was like, man, the words got out about my sermon. <laughs> then I remembered it was kids, you know. So. I still stuck with that original thought. Now listen, listen. You're here because God ordained you to be here today. And my question to you is, do you know Jesus? If he came right now, are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? We don't know what a day holds. I had a stroke several months ago. I had no idea that day that my left side would begin to be weak and, and uh, I would try to find excuses for what it was. But in the back of my mind, I was really worried. And the next morning, it was worse. And then the next morning, I couldn't even walk to the coffee pot. And that's when I knew it was serious, when I couldn't get to the coffee. My whole point in saying that is we don't know. We don't know what a day will hold. My son died back in March. Y'all know about that. I got to tell you, I went to Atlanta. I was on a trip in Atlanta. Got a phone call from my wife, weeping, crying. I think Mitch is dead. I didn't know that was going to happen that day. I didn't know my son was going to die that day from a drug overdose. I didn't know. I don't know what a day holds. I'm telling you right now. You don't know. I don't wish anything bad on you. I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom, but I'm telling you right now, you need to wake up if you think you know what a day holds. You don't know what a day holds. And my question for you is, are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to meet God? Would you bow your head right there where you are? We're not going to play sad organ music and ask you to walk down the aisle and I'm not against that, but we're not going to do that. Just bow your head right there where you are. Now, I've delivered the word of God today the best I know how. The kids have sung it. 
The kids, man, they, they sung about Jesus. You, you've been in this, you've been saturated in the gospel. You've been saturated in Jesus this morning. Now, I'm telling you, I'm telling you now, you got a decision to make before you walk out of here. No, no, man, I just came to see a little children's program, and, and then I'm going, you know, watching football. Or No, no, no. You're going to decide. You're going to decide right now before you leave this room. You're going to decide about Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? That's what Pilate said. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate said, what am I going to do with this man named Jesus? Do you know that's the most important question a man will ever ask, a woman will ever ask? What am I going to do with Jesus? Because, see, what you decide to do with Jesus will determine what eternity does with you.